0: Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the December 13, 2016 edition of Ask a Leader. My first guest, Stuart Troutenberg, will talk about the job recruiting process, both the perspective of the talent and the firm. Then we'll pick up where we left off with Ani Zonefeld and Jordan Elgrabley on the nature of Muslim relations in America. We'll be right back. After a short station break, welcome back to the show. My first guest is Stuart Troutenberg, talent acquisition and founder and CEO of Jobs Lab Inc. In the latest parlance, he is known as Chief People Culture Officer for the startup. In this capacity, he finds all the talent and hires them using his predictive analytics, which we'll go into soon enough. As an architect creating the culture from scratch, Stewart focuses mainly on building engineering development teams. He's the founder of S.A. Trout Associates, and he's also the chief savvy investor at Integritas Ventures. Previously, he was vice president of People Operations and an angel investor at, I'm not sure if it's Keeper, that's Keep. the Keeper.
1: That's correct.
0: Consulting talent chief at Violin Memory, chief of talent acquisition at Nook Cloud at Barnes and & Noble, and Raza Fa- Foundries, an incubator venture capital firm. While at Gaikai, his recruitment efforts created the value that Sony Corporation sought when they acquired the company. And a New Jersey native, Stuart Troutenberg, completed his Bachelor's of Science in Political Science at Boston University. Recently tapped as an expert in residence at Applied Innovations here at UCI, he offers provocative talks open to the public from time to time at the nearby Cove. He joins me in studio today. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Stuart Troutenberg.
1: Thank you very much, Claudia. Pleasure to be here.
0: If you want to talk about Oculus sometime, you can jump in, but I just I know that's a bit of a scab to pull off, so it is, it's not in your intro for a reason.
1: That's true, but I do carry a brown bag in my briefcase so I can start breathing into it when we start talking. About my Oculus uh, experience. If,
0: if it, okay, so, but I, I want you to know I respect what <laughs> people. What they learn more from it than we'll ever know, and but that's part of your absolutely, talent. Absolutely, absolutely. profile there. It shapes us. Well, I'd like to have you, Stuart, first, uh, ex- we're going to examine both sides of the recruitment equation. We'll toggle uh, both sides as we go through this recruitment dance. So first, we're, we're taking the perspective from one doing the recruiting, the one tracking down the talent. In what industry or industries are you primarily interested?
1: I love startups. Versus working with an iconic company like a Sony PlayStation or an Oculus at this point. With the startup, usually I am chartered with the process of building all the teams from scratch and creating the culture from scratch. And if you do that job and uh, properly, everything kind of just falls into place. Um, both are equally as important. You should not substitute any talent at all, whether it's an office manager, a QA analyst... A Python engineer or the CEO of the company. You should always hire that top one, five, ten percent talent. Uh, but equally as important, you should find that great culture fit as well. And if you substitute either one, uh, eventually it is going to grow and metastasize your culture and your team, and it's and it's gonna it's gonna hurt uh, hurt the growth of the company.
0: And you say that in your um, various bios that you're you're looking for. Development and uh, engineers, software engineers, and the like. If somebody, let's say, an informatics healthcare worker, if they're, are they some in you on your radar at all?
1: They are and they aren't. If a company comes to me, this happens quite frequently. Okay, Claudia, I get contacted quite often by by startup companies, and th- when I go in and meet with them, they will say to me, "Well, have you ever recruited for?" this type of person in biotechnology, or this type of person in the auto industry, or robotics? And my answer will be no, but at the end of the day, we are recruiting people, and you need to find out what makes people tick. Everybody's an individual. Everybody's like a snowflake. So you have to approach it that way. I can learn the buzzwords and the tag words of the position very quickly, but you are dealing with people at the end of the day, and we all know how that can be.
0: Okay. Well now let's go through the process sure working on multiple fronts. How do you then find and you identify these candidates?
1: Absolutely. Well, I was I got into this business when I was 21 years old in uh, Framingham, Massachusetts and uh, these three partners of a firm saw something in me and basically took me under their wing to teach me the business. And I was told way back then there's either it's street marts from growing up in Atlantic City or some high IQ, EQ thing that I have, I was able to read and, and see things in individuals that others were missing. So I, um, the way I identify most people, as probably pretty much every recruiter does right now, is LinkedIn is the name of the game. There's no doubt about it. That's the one. That's the one. Okay. There's no doubt about it. But uh, you have to get something called a LinkedIn recruiter seat. Um, if you are doing this business seriously, and that's about five thousand dollars, actually a year. To that's a that se- change for Stuart Absolutely, but if you make one placement, that's you know you are paying you are paying for that four times over because that would be a, like a twenty thousand dollars fee. So when I look at LinkedIn profiles, I study them very deeply. I am um, looking at you. I actually just wrote an article on my LinkedIn uh, profile and posted it because when I look at photos of people on LinkedIn. Uh, sometimes I don't understand why they post the photos that they do. Too they, casual? Oh, they're not smiling, it's blurry, uh, you have no idea what's going on. And and, and yeah, you know, the photo is going to tell me quite a bit. Either what's going on in the background in the photo, if they're holding a child, how they're smiling, what's going on. Does it um,
0: need a background? What has to happen in the background?
1: We're just no right. red flags.
0: Just no red <laughs> flags. So if it's just a if it's a not if it's like a black background, there's if it's very simple and plain. That's,
1: yeah, that's that's fine. Not, you
0: don't want to see something super creative in the background.
1: Fifty percent of them look like mugshots. Okay. So and and which I, is I, good or bad? It that, could be that, good or bad. Uh, the mugshot is usually not a positive thing because
0: they're not happy. <laughs>
1: they're not happy. They're not. They're not. I'm, okay. I'm not getting that that good sense. Or but, they're withholding. Well, it's a platform where they should be putting their best traits forward, right? And if they're not doing that. And they're not smart enough to do it in a LinkedIn photo. Then what else aren't they smart about? Okay. So, and then I will dive in pretty deeply. I do look at the re- I do look at the references that have been written about them um, on their LinkedIn profile. I do look at you know how often they stayed at their jobs. But I'm looking for just certain things. I look at their interests. I want to know what they've been doing, what they do for fun. Um, I want to know what their skills are. So, um, and then there's <clears throat> then I will gravitate towards that person for whatever reason. My my subconscious will will click in and and then I will reach out to that individual. However, you, I write a very subjective, tailored introduction to that, in person, to that individual, whereas most recruiters just send spam emails to thousands of people daily, and everybody knows that it's a spam. Waste everybody's time. A waste everybody's time, absolutely.
0: Well, I, I'm glad you brought up right away the, the LinkedIn platform. There's some with whom I've conferred in mm-hmm. preparation for this that are very concerned about sharing much at all you are counting on that data to to mine for your purposes. So there's a little bit of, uh, there's some tracking here. It's not converging. So it's in your interest to get that, but some people are very protective because it's such a an accessible thing. I can look up LinkedIn for any guest I'm going to have on this show, and there's there's really no sort of filter for me to, you know, Right. No gatekeeper.
1: Well, unlike Facebook, which is you know pure social and and sharing, uh, the LinkedIn platform is supposed to be professional, um, and connecting. Um, but, but even if professionals so revealing though, professionals revealing, they don't have to reveal very much for me to hone in on them. So they don't have to give too too much detail. I will find a few of the things that will stick out to me, and that will um, say that that's a person that I need to be talking to. Um, and then my approach is such where I say be open-minded. It's a process. I know you're happy where you are. You're making good money. You've got good responsibility. Be open-minded. Make a comparison to what you're doing today. Come out and meet me for a cup of coffee for 15 minutes. See if you get excited. If you're excited, let's continue. If not, that's okay. We're friends. and We, we know each other for the future.
0: And I know from Stewart's. Lunch and learn the one the most recent one he did that when he's saying he's meeting for coffee, it could he needs his passport to get to those coffee places sometimes. So it's it's you're everywhere. I
1: will go wherever I need to go on a Saturday or a Sunday and do whatever I need to 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 get Manila, face to face. Rio, wherever. Um haven't been to Manila but, but I'll put it on the on the list to go okay, to. Okay, <laughs>
0: okay. Well, so as far as your opening up LinkedIn sure. profiles then do you have a filter? Do they know that you're, Stuart Troutenberg, are looking them up? Or are you, uh, is there, well, how much symmetry is there in this dance?
1: On LinkedIn, they even if you don't reach out to them, they know that you're looking at them. So all uh, everything is uncovered on LinkedIn these days. Um, and you
0: don't have some special filter then as a you subscriber? Can prob- you
1: can pro- yes, you can. you can. So
0: you could look at yeah, out. Sure, those, sure. But you, but you want it to be known that you are checking in?
1: Absolutely. Because, okay, good Because to know. one of the reasons, if I've, I've heard this many, many, many times. So when I have a targeted candidate that I approach, they will tell me that they've been approached by 20 other recruiters that day. But for some reason, they are talking to me and that's because of the, the very subjective in-mail or, or, or um, introduction that I send to them um, and, uh, and the fact that I want to meet them face-to-face. Okay. So there's, And also, I want them to go look at my profile because then they will see, hopefully, some, some pedigree and accomplishments that I've done and, what I, and the good things I've done for other candidates, uh, placing them at, uh, at Gaikai, which was acquired by PlayStation, and, and then several of that talent went over to be the core team of Oculus as well.
0: Well it, it does stand out as a preeminent profile. it's, a, it's your it's your billboard, it's your uh, it's your info. Yes. info commercial, yeah, commercial. Yes, so, so
1: it, it, it goes a long way and it helps in the process, no doubt.
0: So then that's one way you find them. Mm-hmm. So are there other ways that you find them? You said LinkedIn No, there's <coughs> more resources you're using.
1: Oh, I actually pretty much use um, use just three. So we have LinkedIn as number one. Um, actually, LinkedIn would be pretty much number two. Would be the second approach. Number one, which is also what my startupjobslab.com dot com is focusing on, is going to be focusing more on the employee referral process right, and, we'll open that and driving up a little that. Bit, yeah. Okay, okay. So that that's number really one as as a recruiting tool. And then number three is just very simply, uh, you know, who, who I know and just friends I've made through the years and and stuff like that. You want you want to, you want to I- ideally try to recruit and hire a known entity versus somebody who is very much completely cold off the street.
0: Okay. Well, then let's do talk about how Jobs Lab works. It's I guess part of its feature is you are doing a lot of natural select selecting for <laughs> people who are going to commit to this. I wanted to see a little bit more how it works, but I wasn't going to go in and create my own account, because it, it's, it's a huge commitment you're asking, so that's already getting, you're getting down to maybe 5% of the overall talent to get to your Close to 1%.
1: That, that's correct. It, it is a huge commitment. And on the Jobs Lab front, would you like to know how it came about? Yes. The, uh, okay, yes. so.
0: Exactly.
1: When I was building Gaikai, um, I took them from three founders to approximately 100 employees in a year and a half, uh, single-handedly. And recruited from all over the world, so um, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, Amsterdam, France, Germany, Russia, Canada, Spain, Belgium, on and on and on, to name a few, and brought them all to Little Aliso, Viejo, California. When I was interviewing these, all these candidates, common themes started uh, showing themselves to the types of engineering developer candidates that we were gravitating towards. Um, and I started keeping track of these analytics over over a year, over a two year period, and uh, and it started um, focusing on their child rearing, what what they were doing between the ages of five to twelve years old, uh, the role models of their grandfathers and grandmothers and, and fathers. This regardless and
0: regardless of the age of the candidate,
1: regardless of the right, age, okay. I want to know what was going on with them between the ages of five to twelve years old. What habits? What what foundation was being set for them? Um, then I wanted to know um, when they're, especially with a developer and an engineer, their hardwiring as such is where they're just passionate about this stuff all the time. So their best coding hours during the day are 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning. They usually wrote their first code when they were nine or ten years old, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I can dive into a bit more detail if you want to dive into the questions and, well, and dissect it a bit.
0: Okay, let's do that. And but uh, the other part about the jobs. Lab is you're offering about a referral bounty you're you're fanning out with this search and so somebody like you that's a ref- an, a peer sure in the field can yeah. score some s- some spare change here with helping you out so you're opening up the sort of the pie here for others to benefit
1: yes yeah, so I was uh, the, the original intent of jobs lab was to create a kind of a social reward ecosystem or marketplace for everybody I'm talking about returning veterans. I'm talking about stay-at-home moms or dads. I'm talking about college students who can't find a job. And I'm talking about that developer or engineer in Silicon Valley. They would all have a platform to come to to refer their friends that are talented to open jobs that are posted on Jobs Lab, And for each opening, depending upon the salary range, there would be a $2,000 to a $10,000 referral reward if your successful referral got hired and you can also share it with your friends so there was that we would follow the the um, um, uh, you could share that reward uh, up to 3 friends in a referral chain as well
0: okay so for those of you who've just joined us my guest in this portion of the show is Stuart Troutenberg he's the CEO of Jobs Labs Inc and we're we're working into it's not your mothers your cousins it's it's your offsprings recruitment <laughs> plan. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the new improved here. So you were talking about some of those questions and at the, the cove you also talked about what was the, well that's, I'm, uh, the, there's a lot of them and we're not going to have as much time as we want here to cover it all. The um, the most productive, as you mentioned, the biggest thing that you would change about yourself, most important feature in company culture was interesting, what you're looking for uh, hobbies, uh, life work balance and you want you want for every person on this website to to answer which one applies. We're not going to tell everybody where Stuart's waiting. This because that's you've got to be authentic, folks. But it's you you found a lot of really interesting things, or like musical instrument.
1: Um, absolutely. So I my feeling is, and I've got this down to about ten questions now on the Jobs Lab website. So I'm taking the. And again, I might get in trouble by saying this, but kind of like thoroughbred horse racing, the way you you identify perhaps the fastest horse and an owner wants to buy a horse is by looking at their uh, their breeding and their their child rearing and what was going on and and their habits, et cetera. And printing informative, and yes.
0: of Backdrop, yeah.
1: And it, it's kind of a similar approach. So when I see that a. A uh, child has been playing a musical instrument for at least three years. That shows discipline. It shows dedication. Um, it, oh, it shows, shows a, a passion, It shows a cognitive process that they've especially, developed. Especially piano playing, of course. And uh, so that, when it comes to the musical instruments, that that's why that, that question was coming up. So, uh, because I kept seeing that I was asking the question, the types of developers we were gravitating towards were playing musical instruments when they were growing up. So...
0: so the since this is be employee referral, mm-hmm. and how does does the candidate know they're being considered? How transparent is this whole thing?
1: Um, they will. So what will happen is is the referral will come in, and it will go to face to face. No, no. The refer- come into the, on the platform. The referral will come in on the platform. Okay, and then that individual will come. That individual will be viewed by the uh, recruiter um, or the administrator at, let's say, Sony or somewhere else, whatever company it is. Um, they can share that profile, and you can download your profile. It'll be transferred over from LinkedIn, or you can download your resume on the website. Um, then the, uh, the administrator or recruiter will share it with the, with the hiring or technical team and they will make a decision if they like that person or not and then they have the they are allowed to send a personal email to that candidate to say we have you you've been referred
0: that, that you've been point, reviewed that not before
1: that's correct so would you be interested in learning more if so he, you know please come on to jobs lab create a free account and apply for the opening
0: wow and then how much can other subscribers shall we say on the website see of each other
1: um not at all
0: not at all it's a, it's a, one no,
1: R- right now it's set up where you would have to type in tag words um, like Python or C Sharp or C++ in order to uh, hone in on the type of job openings there are. Um, that's, event- that's soon going to change where you'll have a list of the companies with the position openings under them so you can just t- hit on the title and see what the job openings are. But no, this is very, very secure, very confidential. No data shared anywhere. It's, uh, it's just on the platform.
0: Well, one thing I noticed in this whole vetting that you talked about was that the references that a candidate submits to you, that if that reference does not give a full-throated, top-notch appraisal, the candidate is toast. And I'm not sure how much those referrals understand how easily a blemish, how much feet it has, traction in your waiting system, how can a candidate manage that? Because there's so many factors that could come into what that referral happens to utter.
1: Yes, honestly, they should role model what the references, to be very honest. They should they should ask the references what they're going to say about them instead of asking, will you please be a reference for or me? Or coach,
0: I mean, practically. Uh, you have
1: to do it. Um, think about this for a moment. So, I usually, the, the the, the situation is, is you know, let's say Sony wants to hire somebody, one of my candidates. They'll say, oh, let's check some references. I'll Does say, Sony
0: ask you for, st- for you recruiting for them?
1: Um, I was building some of the new uh, technology teams for PlayStation when they were working on cloud TV and VR a couple years ago.
0: Then, okay.
1: So um, they invited me to do that up in San Francisco. But I, I like to get things done, so I like to go work for my startups and, and actually see something okay. grow and build instead of something take a while to get done. Sorry, Sony. Yeah. Um so, with regard to the references, I basically ask two or three questions only. And a few of those questions would be like on a scale of one to ten, um, ten being the best, you know, how are the communication skills, how, how do they compare to others in a related role. But you have to find out if that reference is a hard grader. So, if they give well, us... The if they give us, so If they say, oh, if they say Bob is only a seven, and then I say, what do you grade yourself?
2: Okay, and they say, I'm really check. only
1: a six... What's the highest your scale of 1 to 10 really goes? Is a 7 the highest? Yes. So therefore, that's a great reference. But if I was to stop just on 7, that's a, you know, that's a C. that's subjective, yeah. Then you move on and you say that's a bad reference. So you have to dive a little bit deeper into the reference and learn a little bit more about the person who's giving the reference as well.
0: Boy, let's hope they are not diverted though. When you're you're doing this on an an email or a phone call,
1: I will be doing answer. this. I will be doing this on it. I want to hear their again.
0: No tone deaf communication. It's yes, a I want to hear
1: their voice. I want to hear what's going on because I'll be able to tell by how they're answering it or Hesitation. or their tone whether they are that hard grader. That's why I'll I'll ask that follow up question.
0: Or if they're multitasking, you say. It. Or yeah, I don't have
1: their focus, etc. Which that, we all do, right?
0: That's well. Well, to our peril.
1: The other, the other question that I would ask, just very quickly, as a yes. reference question: is, is you know, if you were building a startup and you needed to hire your first, you know, top five employees who are going to have to be going to have to be Swiss Army knives and do a lot for you, would you hire Bob or would you consider Bob? And if the answer is consider Bob, there is a problem there. That's a big one for me. They would have to hire that person, not just consider.
0: I rem- that's the one I remember, and I am thinking that that word choice alone has them.
1: That's Cooked. the tr- that's the trick one. Yes, that's the
0: trick one. So you know, I didn't I, so I didn't spring this on you. I'm springing it now. I didn't put it in our sure. some of our discussion. But let's say that the the CEO of Trump Inc. were to come in I, and and say, I would like to move into the public sector, and I'd like to run a country.
1: This is starting to sound familiar.
0: And so I would like to know um, how uh, as a talent acquisition entrepreneur, what was, I guess, what, oh my goodness, how do I, what is the question? We're, we're faced, there's a lot of people that did a lot of rating on that talent, mm-hmm. and a lot of, a lot of details were missed in the vetting process Sure, in the public, so is there, or, as or ignored. A, ignored. So as a, as a kind of a, before we give you a chance to give us all the websites you want people to run to after this particular interview, mm-hmm. uh, what you, would you as a talent acquisition, Maybe, let's say, say uh, how would you talk to the voters about this person who wants to change jobs?
1: Wow. How would I talk Why to the not? voters? Why not? Stuart, you're up for this. Sure. How would I talk to the voters about this individual who might or might not be named Trump? He's or is going, he's Trump?
0: leaving, he's leaving this. Well, it, we don't know about leaving the sector, but he he's t- t- changing his entire DNA or he, not changing it.
1: Yes. Well, I, I would, I would, I would. Um, Kind of make an analogy to when I work with startups, okay, um, and young founders, and this is these are true stories. So I would work with founders who are twenty one, twenty two, twenty three years old who just won international awards and contests for their ideas. Okay, then they would get two million dollars in funding, and they would move to San Francisco. Then they would get a 25000 twenty five thousand dollar loft office in Soma, across the street from the ballpark, and they would be playing. Um, They would be playing startup checkers instead of startup chess. So one of the things is you learn two ways. You learn in the classroom, and you learn by experience. Um, President-elect Trump needs to surround himself with the folks who have the experience, and he needs to listen to them. Um, He can't be playing president checkers. He has to be playing president chess. Um, Or
0: go. He's got to play the go game.
1: More abstract. And most important, which is the the most fearful part of this, is you need to be open-minded and you need to want to learn and listen. And that's the part that uh, I personally am seeing that that's not happening. So if I were to uh, say if this Trump startup presidency is going to work, um, right now I would say the odds are very much uh, against that.
0: So you are such a good sport to take that question. And I wanted to give you a chance to give us a a place to go for more resources about where you're involved. And you've you've given us what other platforms people can use. But let's give you a chance to promote your products here.
1: Okay. So um, with regard to, I I wear several hats right now. We have satrout.com, which is S-A-T-R-A-U-T.com and that's me as a person so I would move into a startup and I would basically quarterback and own the process of building the teams and building a culture for a founding team or venture capital and I'm doing that with two or three startups right now which are doing very well um, and I do that around around the globe the other platform that i'm building is jobslab.com j-o-b-z-l-a-b.com and that's the social reward platform and um, but we're going to be twisting that i wouldn't i wouldn't call it a pivot right now we're going to be shifting that more into an employee referral platform driving the employee referral process internally for companies and trying to gamify that a little bit and that's a whole nother show
0: that it is a whole another show and there's I, I want to spend more time, maybe we could come back, figure out this again, but I, there's so many topical developments that are so important to keep covering sure. right yep. now on our little wholesome community affairs platform, but uh, because I, I'm i fascinated and stunned by the kind of, the dance is it, we didn't get to the dance of how you meet face to face, you Practically, you know, give them an ultimatum: is before you leave town, you're either going to take it or leave it, buddy. And and there, I'm concerned about the symmetry in how people are being served on both ends. But you're we'll We'll maybe get a chance to talk about how the the matchup that you're seeing in the factors, the matchup in the the culture and the individual with that seems to be a reasonably high success rate that will attest to the ethical part of your. Making a, a an authentic match that serves the client and the candidate, but we can talk about that.
1: That that sounds great. And I usually do that in about five minutes of meeting somebody, and then the rest of fifty five minutes is just making sure that I'm that is uh, the correct initial of read read that I had on that individual. Okay. That would be great.
0: All right. So we'll we'll let's take that back up again. And I, do you know? Um, are you scheduled to give another talk at Applied Innovations at the Cove?
1: N- not yet. Calendar? I can reach out to them or they'll reach out to me and uh, I can let you if know. You let me sure, know. I'll be happy absolutely. to do it.
0: Not only am I going to go there, but I'll make sure people do <laughs> take you up. I've been but sending people there ever since. That was my first Lunch and Learn.
1: By all means. And, and there is uh, uh, as much pizza as you want uh, at these no, talks, uh, which is n- always a good thing.
0: N- well, <laughs> actually, I find I do better. No pizza. And For I the students, they can eat
1: as much as they want. They
0: can. Well, <laughs> Stuart Troutenberg, Jobs Lab CEO, Trout talent acquisition extraordinaire. thanks for your time on being on ask a leader today
1: thank you claudia
0: we'll be right back after a short break and we'll have on ani Zonefeld and jordan el Grobney. we're going to talk about islamic relations in america it's uh, things have gotten a little bit more intense since uh, they were here on the show last week be right back Thanks for joining us. We have on today's show, we're going to resume where we left off from the current trends in Islamophobia in the Los Angeles and Orange County areas. And there's been more gestures, more threats that have been perpetrated, and we're going to talk about those today. I want to welcome back... My guests on the show, Ani Zonfeld and Jordan Elgravi, and I'm going to give them a fuller introduction today, even though we don't have that much more time than we did last week. So much to cover. So to start with, Ani Zonfeld is founder and president of Muslims for Progressive Values. She's presided over the Muslims for Progressive Values expansion, include chapters and affiliates in, count these folks, 12 countries, 19 cities. She's also organized numerous Interfaith arts and music festivals participate in many interfaith dialogues and is a strong supporter of human rights and freedom of expression. She is the brainchild of literary and I hope I can say it right. You can jump in anytime, Ani. Zikr? Yep, perfect. Oh, well, okay. A project that counters radical Islam online and co editor, she is of the Muslims for Progressive Values first book and Anthology entitled Progressive Muslim Identities, Personal Stories from the U.S. and Canada. And stories take us everywhere and deeper. Yep. So she has contributed to many forwards and numerous anthologies, contributed for Huffington Post, Open Democracy, and Al Jazeera, and recently gave her TEDx talk entitled Islam as American as apple pie. As a singer-songwriter, she counters radicalism as she speaks, sings her message of social justice and peace from a progressive Muslim woman's perspective, and is the first woman to release an Islamic, English- Islamic pop album in the U.S. in 2004. Born and raised Muslim from Malaysia and based out L.A., Ani spent a good portion of her formative years raised in Germany, Egypt, and India as an ambassador's daughter her exposure to different politics religions and cultures has shaped her inclusive worldview that's called cosmopolitanism people we can we can (coughs) bring that back and that wonderful uh, capturing word she completed her bachelor's degrees in both economics and political science at northern illinois university which there is another there's another aspect that she understands the Midwest. Jordan uh, Grobly, my other guest, is an award-winning social entrepreneur, writer, and founding ed- director for the Marcaz Art Center for Greater Middle East in L.A. We've had him on a year ago, back-to-back, uh, before and after the Paris bombing, and he's the, the cool head prevailing here in leading us through what's going on around around the world, not just around the country. He was a producer for the Dalai Lama's World Festival of Sacred Music in 1999, 2002, and 2005. As well, he launched several original cross-cultural initiatives, among them Arabs, Blacks, and Jews, The Art of Resistance, and CelebratePalestine.org. He's twice been nominated for the James Irvine Leadership Award, and in 2014, he received an American Express Award in 2015, the Rachel Corey Conscience, and Courage Award. It's a big one from the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee. He is a 2016 Ariane de Rothschild Foundation Fellow. That's why he's back in circulation here in L.A. We're glad he is. Both have been working together a great deal recently now that the anti-Arab Islamic atmosphere is heating up. I'm asking them to take us behind the scenes, resume where we left off last week and before we do that, Jordan, I still want to know where you went to school.
3: I went to school at the American University of Paris, which is really, really an international school. There are a lot of uh, you know children of diplomats and uh, children from the Gulf and from you know Arab countries and North Africa. Uh, so it was a pretty international environment, and it led to you know I spent many years in Paris uh, after that, right? Uh, drinking in that very international or cosmopolitan uh, that's an scene.
0: essential thing for for progress to be made is getting moving that cosmopolitan sensibility and around and I when I had an imam on uh, it was a different show I was doing here at KUCI and I I said you know Imam Mustafa is do you think that the election is Ohio's cry out for Meza you know an airlift of Meza mm-hmm. so anyway uh, he, he chuckled mm-hmm. there so I want to one thing I wanted to bring up, a little bit of a broadside, but I'm concerned now, uh, since we last talked, and um, the, the uptick is really interesting, that we're hearing of the president-elect putting together an echo chamber of anti-Islamic sensibilities. How do you think, how are you responding and preparing for that course we b- will be going down
2: um, that for you, Ani. Okay, yeah. I, I, uh, it is of concern to the Muslim community, but not just the Muslim community. There is, there is a lot of coalition building that's happening throughout the country, uh, Los Angeles and Orange County included. There is, there's that preparation, the anticipation of what is going to come down the pipeline. However, uh, you know we have a lot of faith in f- the system, the le- legal system now here in the Calif- in California, we have the secretary General uh, Javier who's just been appointed by Governor Brown, who we feel is going to be protecting our rights here in california so california is a we, we, we are pretty confident here in california we 're in good hands, but for the rest of the country that for the rest of the country it, it, there's pockets of issues that's going to be very problematic and how it's going to these echo chamber, how that echo chamber is going to play out in real life, in real people's lives. That said, I really want to highlight the fact that there is a lot of good stuff going on within the communities. There's this Muslim-Jewish coalition that's that's happened on a major scale between um, the AJC and um, um, Muslim organizations led by, co-chaired by Robert Silverman and Farouk Aswari, and um and you know, Silverman, Mr. Silverman of AGC, just donated, uh, you know, funds to repair the Florida Mosque, which was damaged by arson. And so there are some good, good relationship building and activities going on in response to what is coming up down, down, down the pipeline in the future. And you, Jordan?
3: Well, I mean, I, I don't want to argue with uh, with Ani but um, uh, as as much as as much as uh, i see good things going on we also hear that the, the muslim registry is being discussed yes and uh um that uh, the trump has you know picked people uh who are uh alarmist and who are you know the, their their big rallying cry is isis uh and so you know that that tends to uh get the american population in that you know focused on uh being afraid and uh focused much less on uh intercultural interfaith relations uh and the, you know uh almost half the country voted for trump and so they're going to be listening for those extremist messages and they're going to be you know uh hunkering down afraid of or hostile toward immigrants muslims Blacks, Jews. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, wanting to pick Steve Bant, uh, Bannon uh, from Breitbart doesn't augur well. So I think we have to be positive on one hand and vigilant on the other, and we have to remain well organized, continue communicating. It's going to be a mix of, uh, you know, uh, optimism and pessimism.
2: Yeah. Well, well, don't get me wrong, it is a challenging time. I mean, the, the amount of um, threats and harassment that we get, even for progressive Muslims, this is uh, unprecedented. Um, but the, I have more fear in the layperson that is filled with hatred that are listening to that, you know, that whistle, than I am really. Um, I'm a lot more confident in the American justice system and, and the rule I, of law. I want to let
0: people know that part one of this discussion we talked about the Green Dot system and. Uh, There are YouTube tools out there for people to, in real time, intervene and separate the assailant from uh, the perpetrator harassing someone uh, of Islamic faith. And so that we can be free to. But now, while you're talking, an analogy occurs to me as more and more items are being released from the Trump transition is that uh, that's not a matter of the forest being the, a fire being lit in one area. It's with so many disclosures of uh, uh, new appointments that are meant to sort of uh, undo the agency yeah. that they'd be in charge of. It seems like the forest there. Yeah. They're, it's getting torched from Around the whole periphery, many places. So well, from it's within. a <laughs> challenge for for grassroots. It's a challenge for cosmopolitans. It's a challenge for people that follow all this to to respond with the fire coming from so many different places around the forest periphery.
2: Yeah. I think I think there there is that common denominator that we all share. Like I said, there is a coalition building that's happening here in Los Angeles that really cuts across various issues, um, faith, non faith, women's issues, women's reproductive rights, LGBT rights, the environment, because this this is being torched from within. Uh, Rick Perry, for example, has been um, has been chosen to to lead the environmental uh, no the Department Department of Energy right yeah which is that that is torching from within. And so the coalition building has to be cross-sectional because it's going to affect all of us. It's not just the Muslim issue. It's not the Jewish issue. It's not a black issue or LGBT. It's the environment. It's
3: The so environment is the yeah. biggest crisis that we have, of course. And, and so you're right. Uh, you know, with the, with the climate change deniers being empowered uh, under Trump, uh, you know, uh, and climate change causing... Uh, the refugee uh, crisis, in fact, uh, because, you know, Africa is one example of a country where the droughts, extreme droughts and, and other...
0: Climate refugees. Uh, yeah. ...weather
3: changes, yeah. you know, they, it causes people to not, they c- cannot economically sustain themselves, so they're on the move. Uh, and uh, so, uh, uh, you know, that, that's just as big an issue as Islamophobia. Um, we can see with the uh, solidarity for what's happening in Standing Rock, a lot of people across all different ethnicities and political uh, belief systems are pushing back against the big, you know, corporation that is just trying to go ahead and, you know, get every last drop of oil, uh, you know, pipelined down to the Gulf and to sell abroad and, and uh, make their, their last dime a profit. And, and then Trump is talking about bringing in the uh, CEO of Exxon to work in this administration. So uh, it, this is a clash of values above all. I
0: think. Which is going to keep all of us really busy. That's why I, that analogy occurred to me while we we're talking about mm-hmm. this. For those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We're on Twitter at KUCIFM, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook. You can find us on all of those platforms. My guests are Ani Zonenfeld, Muslims for Progressive Values, and Jordan Groboli, Director of the Marcaz, both of which, they're both coming into us today from L.A., and they're taking up with us the nature of, of Muslim relations in American society. Well, I... All right, that's the gloom. It's a lot of doom to take. <coughs> so there's a balm here. There's a tonic to go into some of the really positive things we talked last week a little bit about. And, and there's a reference to we can load up that is the Muslim list. We can all be a member on that and make it impossible for any to make it the most unwieldy list that's ever collected. And I, I wanted to match with I spoke with Ani uh, uh, briefly in preparation years that we had the opportunity last Friday at the university synagogue that the Rabbi Rockless hosted Syed Mustafa al-Kazimi to have. It was the most open-ended forum in a Shabbat service I've ever seen, I ever will see, I imagine. And so those Dr. Kazimi is the president of the Islamic Educational Center for Orange County. So, Ani, I want to give you more chances to talk about forums around the area people can really sign up for and deepen their commitment and and feel active not feel hopeless and helpless
2: yeah yeah i think we all need that um i think to uh, to open our uh our horizons to uh, different voices n- different perspectives is very important so, so for example tonight i'm speaking yes. as part of a woman muslim women's panel um at a temple he, temple judea here in uh up in uh, the valley in los angeles and what's the name and, of the synagogue? Um, it is called uh, Judea. Temple Judea, Judea. Yeah. yeah. and it's uh, in Tarzana. Okay. Temple Judea in Tarzana at 7 o'clock, 7 to 9. And there'll be four Muslim women speaking from different perspectives, um, and it's an open forum, and ask whatever you want. Um, so, so that's what's also going on. And then on the other end, you know, we are also, we have this event called Celebration of Life, where we actually highlight various Muslims who have been, advocating for freedom of expression, freedom of conscience in the Muslim world, for example. and But because they do that, they are either jailed, tortured, or killed. So oftentimes, we only hear these awful, murderous events you know, perpetuated by Muslims, but what we're not hearing is that the, the Muslims themselves are victims. And there are a lot of Muslims who are actually speaking up, but they have suffered consequences um, as a result of it. And so... And as as it takes it, it takes a lot of backbone to do that in such an oppressive environment, and uh, one what we're doing also is we're awarding Bassam Youssef, who is the Egyptian equivalent of John Stewart, for he, his leadership and his backbone of speaking up against Mubarak, against Sisi, um, uh, Morsi, and Sisi, and as a result of that, he also received tremendous death threats, and he had to leave Egypt. So we'll be giving him the award of Bat Khan, Deacon of Truth Award. And when and he, where? That's January 15th um, at the CBS studio lot in Studio City, and you can find more information about it on our website, mpvusa.org, Muslims for Progressive Values, basically. If you Google that, you'll find it. And, and uh, CBS has been, a, a, you know, this is the second time they're, um, They've been a supporter, corporate sponsor of our event, and we're very proud of that. And I think it's really important that we, we empower, we recognize, we honor those truth-tellers, because the problem with this election even was the lack of truth. It was believing in false news, and the, it, was, it seemed incredible how that basically you know, lies won the day, unfortunately. Which we, need to, we need to
0: remember that. We need to remember that undermines a lot of cognitive processes and necessary. Yeah.
3: Well, so yes, um, and I want to yes, also Jordan. jump in and mention that we have a joint series that we've done this year called Ask a Muslim, which are public panel uh, events that feature um, many different kinds of prominent Muslim uh, intellectuals, academics, activists. Uh, you know, in a moderated uh, public debate where. You get to ask uh, questions uh, as innocent or as, um, you know, pointed as you want uh, to try That's to That's where the work's parse. happening. What's that?
0: That's where the work is happening. It's just yeah. n- having yeah. the comfort of knowing that no question is, you know, too too quaint for that dialogue to deepen the understanding, the, the, the range, the, r- the reach.
3: Well, the, the purpose of the Merkaz, which is Arabic, yes. Hebrew, Persian, Urdu, and Turkish for the center is to create safe public spaces where we come together and we get to discuss. You know, a lot of our success over the many years has been based on the fact that we've presented all of these uh, opportunities and, in fact, presented many Arabs and Muslims. And, you know, they say that many Americans don't even know any Muslims. That's when you don't know people, you generally are kind of afraid of them or you don't like them. Uh, so you know, these these are public programs that provide you that opportunity to you know sit elbow to elbow with someone who might be of the Muslim faith and find out that wow well, that person is very much like me.
2: So and the thing about it, to, and the yeah. thing about it, if you saw me down the street, you wouldn't know I was a Muslim, and if you saw. Many Muslims, your average American Muslim um, in the street, you wouldn't know they were Muslim either because it's not something they wear, it's not something they identify, it's not a visible identification. So when people say, oh, I don't know a Muslim, they probably do, don't, but don't even realize it. And also, the, not only
0: by appearance, but also in processing what's going on, I can still remember, it was quite a while ago, actually, at my uh, my own offspring's elementary school and my Persian friends were talking with each other I mean I was there I'm not everybody gets to get in on these conversations but I remember them saying so that one so so and so wears a scarf I can't believe it yeah yeah (laughs) so it's you know that's that that's a casual uh, sort of a data point but it's all of this racks up to a better better understanding and too many are missing out on and uh, that's giving this Islamophobia a great petri dish to get started
2: Well, Claudia, if I can share a a short story, when I was in the Midwest, um, in in Illinois, going to school, I sat beside an elderly lady on a plane, an internal flight in Illinois, and we had a really lovely conversation, and as I was about to leave, we were about to part ways, she asked me, so, you seem like a really nice young lady, what church do you go to? And I I hesitated for a second, I said, well, I'm Muslim, and then she goes, oh, I've never heard of that church before. So. It's hardwired. That's so therefore, the you know, huh? there is this lack of knowledge of what Islam or Muslim is, and then you have 9-11. So when oh, all that we was know before 9-11? a huge gap of, um, you know, void of any knowledge about Islam and, or Muslims, and then uh, yeah, and that's, that's being Islam, filled I mean, by yeah, the yeah, hate, uh, right?
3: After 9-11, we, we found we were doing programs back in 2001, 2002, and people were coming because we were talking about Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran, etc., and a lot of Americans came, and they they were pretty ignorant. They didn't know much about any of that, and uh, and so there's there's still a pretty large need it's
0: a big to learning curve. you
3: know present uh, people speaking in their own voices about their own cultures. What's happening inside Syria? What's happening inside Egypt? What's happening inside Turkey and Morocco and Iraq and you know Pakistan for that matter. So well, you know unless you're really well read or you're from those countries we all we all have limited horizons in a way. but There's there's so much that we can learn about each other. And
0: that's where all these forms that you're talking about, Ani and Jordan, are going to be so important. I'll be sure to include all of them on my podcast summary. Uh, Ani's mentioned some. Jordan, did you have anything to tell us what's going to be happening in the next month or so at well, uh, Marcos in, in L.A.? Well, few
3: days, actually, this Saturday night, we're presenting uh, L.A. for Standing Rock with uh, kind of a Middle East focus. Uh, there's a number of uh, bands and dancers and uh, hip-hop artists who are uh, Middle Eastern who are performing in solidarity with Standing Rock, so that's happening Saturday uh, in L.A., and all you have to do is visit org to find out about that.
0: I'll pull that up there and make sure everybody knows how to get there. Well, I really appreciate all the time that you've given us for, this is part two. We're going to have a part three at some time. You just let me know when you want to do that. And I want to thank my guest, Ani Zonefeld, Muslim for Progressive Values, and Jordan L. Grobley of the Markhaas. Thank you both for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck, all of us, with helping everybody out here. Well, I'm going to close with a uh, announcement. Next week, we're going to have on the show will be John Dunn. He's the president of the Orange County, San Bernardino County's Planned Parenthood chapter. And then our very own professor, Francisco Ayala, is going to talk about science and faith. He was formerly from the seminary and then you know the rest is history. He's taken evolutionary science to another level and underwritten all kinds of bioscience, library, schools here on the campus. That's next week. Thanks for listening everyone. Talk to you next week.